The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Everybody to the Collective Whisper podcast, and today I have Mr. Donal O'Donoghue. Donal is from Navin. He is an actor, a writer, um, a print journalist as well, as well as many other things. And he's here to talk to us today about his life and personal journey so far. Welcome to the show, Donal. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here with you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We're a couple of days away from Christmas now, so I have last minute shopping to do. Um, I have food to eat and wine to drink, so I'm looking forward to the next few days. Yeah, where where will Christmas be this year? Where are you living? In? I'm living in Dublin, so I'm here in Dublin at the moment, but uh, my family is from Navan, which is only 30 miles up the road uh, from here. So, uh, so we'll go up there up there on Christmas morning or maybe Christmas Eve for a couple of days. And uh, obviously with the restrictions and everything, it's six to our house, isn't it? Or something for Christmas? It, it is. And, you know, I have a brother. Uh, I've got two brothers, but one of them lives in Holland and they've gone into on lockdown. So there was hope that he might be able to to come back, but that's not going to happen this year. Jaglon is his name. And I kind of feel sorry for Jaglon because he is living alone in in Holland and um, and he probably out of all of us, was, you know, the one who loved kind of family celebrations, Christmas celebrations and the crack and the banter and all of that. So it'll be difficult this year, although we, we'll Zoom him. So we're going to have a, a seat at the table um, and we'll Zoom. So it's all very surreal. It's crazy, isn't it? Because just when you were saying about the Zoom, I'm I'm thinking uh, the last week I'm seeing these Christmas parties with the Zoom calls and you're kind of like, how does that even work? I mean, how how do you get pissed and embarrass yourself in front of your boss in, on Zoom? <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. But isn't it crazy, though, just how quickly we all adapted to this world of, you know, being kind of forced indoors? Um but I know, I know often we can kind of be somewhat critical of technology and social media and all the rest. But in years like this, it really just goes to show how amazing it is to keep the world united and, you know, keep families together. And because and loneliness, it, it's, it's, it's an awful thing, you know, to have to kind of deal with. And um, so that was my kind of my feeling about my brother that, you know, he'd get a bit lonely um, because of the day that's in it. Because this is the first, he's 42 or something, 41, this be the first year in all his life where he hasn't celebrated. And I know there's so many people around the country and around the world in a similar situation. So, so I am praising the likes of Zoom at the moment. I think I think it's wonderful. What I think is, imagine if this had happened, you know, ten years ago, before the internet was kind of as it is, much better. I mean, if we didn't have the internet now, the world would be a very dark place. I mean, you'd be locked in your house. You wouldn't be able to do anything. Absolutely. And and I've just come back from from Connemara, where um, I was filming Rosterun and. And I know a lot of families there whose parents, grandparents would have left the likes of Connemara or, you know, rural parts of Ireland, not even rural, all over Ireland. And they'd be dependent on letters, sending each other letters, parcels. Um, and the kind of, imagine kind of thinking in 20, 30, 40 years time that we'd be able to actually see each other. Like I, you're in Spain, right? But I'm in Dublin. It's crazy that we can have this chat now. Um, we're at 30, 40 years ago, you know, we'd have to be dependent on writing little letters and popping them in the post box. 
Yeah, if you said, if you went back 30 years ago with this technology, people would think you were either an alien or <laughs> there's something that happened. They wouldn't believe it. They'd be like, no, this can't be possible. I mean, there's no way my brother in America can speak to me like live instantly. It's just not possible. But I mean, it, it is crazy how, and the technology has been pushed further every day. And, you know, it's it's mad though. I mean, all the people now spending Christmas over Zoom is going to be crazy. Crazy. And by, by coincidence, I'm actually watching a TV show on Netflix called The Cable Girls, set in Madrid. I don't know if you've heard. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've never watched it, but I've heard a lot about it. Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's wonderful. The production values are fantastic. But it's all about, um, you know, the telephonists um, back in the 20s and 30s and the start of all of that. And it's just crazy to think that back then, you know, it was still a luxury to be able to call somebody, you know, and it, it was saved kind of for the, those who had money and, you know, influence. But now, I mean, just think of it, what, 80, 90, 100 years later that we can do this and for free. And for free, yeah. But but, but there's, not, there's very little cost, you know. That we no, can... no, no. It's it's much easier. Like you remember when you tried to make international calls one time and, you know, you'd be putting the 50 pence pieces in the phone box and it was impossible. And even then on your phone, if you were trying to make international calls and you're like, this is going to cost me a fortune. But now because of the computers and Internet, we can do so many things free over the net, no? It's amazing. It's it's really made them so accessible now. Although it doesn't mean, you know, if we don't want to talk to somebody, we don't have many excuses. You know? So Donna, let's um, you know, let's go back a little bit in, in time and you you're you mentioned there you're from Navin. So tell us about your early life in Navin. You you were born in Navin and your parents are from there? No, no. Um I was born in Dublin actually, in and in Hollister. We, we, well, it's just because we don't have a maternity hospital in uh, in Navin. So people from Navin are either born in Dublin or Drogheda. So it's kind of in the middle. So it's, it's one or the other. So I was born in, in Hollis Street in, in Dublin. Um, my parents, no, they're not actually originally from Navin at all. Um, my father is from Clare. He grew up in Clare and my mother grew up in Longford. Okay. Um, what part of Clare is, is your father from? Ecura Clare. Oh, Ecura Clare. Clare. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the beautiful um, East Clare um, and my mother is from, from Longford and um, we, they, and they, they had, um, they got married, they met in Dublin and they had the first two children, my older siblings, and then they moved to Navin um, before my brother, who I was talking about just recently in Holland, um, back in 81, I think. So I came along too. So I'm totally Navin, 100%. Um, wow. wow. How, how many people are in your family? How many, bro how many brothers and sisters do you have? Six in total. Um, four siblings. Four siblings. And we're all beginning with D. So the four Ds. You're all D. You're yes. like the Kardashians of Navin. Absolutely. Yes, we were there well before the Kardashians. Yeah, absolutely. They, they robbed that from us. Yes, so we're Dara, Deirdre, Declan and Donald. Four Ds. Wow, wow. That's actually, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because... That whole idea, you know, when someone says we'll do all D's or whatever. And I can imagine conversations your parents probably had where your mom was like, no, 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 I don't want any more D's now. We'll, let's change it to a B. And your dad is going, no, no, we're sticking with the D's. We'll be consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And more than likely probably was my father because he is like that. Once he got something into his head, he really yeah. commits. Um, uh, what's your father's name? Uh, Sean. Sean and Sean. Moore. Yeah, Sean So um, we we don't know where they came up with the D thing. That they yeah, so he 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 wasn't a D. He was a Sean, but he wanted no, the D. Yes, yeah, because we're O'Donoghue, so we're four dots. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, because I went to school with uh, a guy and his name was Declan Donahue. But ah, yeah, and and uh, but I don't think he ever went. I don't, I'm not sure that he ever comes up Declan or Dunhu because obviously the Irish and the the English pronunciation of the name. But uh, it reminds me of um, a story when I was younger. I used to play rugby for a while, and I used to play in the Corinthians club in Galway. And there was a there was a guy there training with us, right? And um, his name was Dara uh, Dara McDonough. Okay. And what was really strange was his father had the same name. Okay, so that was fine. They were both Dara McDonough or whatever. But the weird thing was they moved house and the the, the street they moved to was McDonough Avenue or McDonough Lane or something. So he, he was Dara McDonough of McDonough Avenue. And I said, and your dad has the same address. So it was like, wow, that's overload. All these, yeah, yeah, the postman yeah. is getting really confused. Absolutely. <laughs> and by coincidence, the little road I lived in in Spiddle was called Bala on Don Lawn. So, yes, so I, yeah, yeah, I was, I was tickle pink uh, when I found that was called. Well, uh, you know, the, the difference is that you're all starting with D, whereas when you look at the Kardashians, they're starting with K, but a lot of their names actually start with C, but they changed it to K. Yes, I think there's the Chloe, I think, with the K. and Yeah, there are Courtney K. and So I, I think, yeah, they just switched it around to make it more modern, but right. yours is, is original, the D. So so a, a big family, so six of you. Where are you in the family? Are you in the middle or youngest no. or second youngest? Yeah. You're the youngest. The youngest, the youngest. Oh. yeah. The youngest. Wow. And your brothers and sisters now, are they all around Ireland? Were your one brother in Holland? Are the rest I'm, of them? Um, yeah, by coincidence, yeah, I'm the only guy left. I'm actually the only person here in, in Ireland. So my two siblings, they, uh, two older siblings, they live in London. Um, um, Daglon is in Holland and then, and then I'm here. And funny enough, growing up, I would always have thought it would be me who would be the one who, who went abroad. But, but no, no, I'm here in Ireland. And which is one you know, the year that's in it, it's, it's been great that I have been here, um, you know, my parents. Um, as I say, you know, Navin is just up the road from Dublin. And even though we didn't get to see each other all that often because of the restrictions, it was just always very reassuring for them and for me to know that we were close by, you know, should anything have happened. Um, and then that this Christmas, I am able to go home and uh, I'll be spoiled rotten because I'll be the only one there. So You'll be the only home. one there. Your, your mother know. your mother, be trying to give gravy to the Zoom camera, but maybe <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take his portion of gravy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to have to bring my comfortable trousers. You know, my yeah, strap. yeah, yeah. The, the, the track pants for home, you know, those kind of comfortable clothes. And tell me, so... So when you were growing up in Navin, um, you know, what was Navin like? Because obviously Navin, you know, it's not a huge place. Well, I'm sure it's pretty big now, but you have a lot of people like Hector O'Huckagon and Tommy Tiernan from Navin, no? We do, and Dylan, Dylan Moran. And Dylan uh, Moran, yeah. Yeah, so we, there's a great reputation actually in Navin for, for comedy and comedians. And the art, surprisingly, do you know, um, and, and music as well. And, you know, Navin has, has, has changed a lot. You know, I'm sure there'll be people who um, would have lived there before my time who would say it's changed even more again. Um, but definitely in my lifetime, like I'm 38 now, um, and it's, it's, it's changed a lot. The heart remains the same. The energy remains the same. The people um, remain the same. But, um, like, because obviously of its close proximity to Dublin, so many new people um, 
came to Navin because of, you know, housing prices. It was a little bit more affordable. Um, so a lot of our suburbs, places where I used to, you know, build tree houses and get up to all sorts of shenanigans while I was a teenager. And that's all, they're all housing estates now. And then housing estates and then big new schools and a lot of, um, you know, factories and industrial sites and stuff. And um, so it's, it's grown a huge amount. It's grown. And, uh, and obviously, you know, a town that grows, particularly that, you know, that speed, which Navin has, you just, your hope is that the heart will remain the same. And, and it has. The town centres, you know, really come on beautiful restaurants, pubs. There's a real kind of um, eclectic vibe there, although you wouldn't be able to tell that because of the year that's in it. Um, but but it, it's a great spot. And I think they're really tapping into the tourism potential that Meath has. You know, Meath is the Royal County. We have two of the most, you know, iconic sites in Ireland there. We have Newgrange and Tara. Um, and obviously the Boyne River goes through it, and that's just, you know, um, peppered with history. So that's something that's really exciting for me because, I, you know, I write a lot in the world of tourism. So um, I've always been singing the praises of Navan and County Mead. So it's great to see that that's now being um, developed and expanded more. Because I do think, you know, because of COVID, a lot of people now are looking for opportunities to travel within Ireland. You know, often before, you know, we just booked that fly and flop destination off to Spain, whatever it was, packed the bags and um, because we wanted the sun, you know, it, it's raining so often here in Ireland. So, of course, we needed a bit of sunshine. But now, because of, you know, what's happened, we're now looking at places within Ireland. And um, and I know personally, you know, a lot of my travel writing this year focused on Irish destinations. And, you know, I went to places that I haven't been to in years, like Longford, for example. I say my mother's from Longford. I haven't been to Longford since my grandmother left, which was going back um, to the early 90s. So that's almost, what, 30 years ago. And I went back for the time to write about it. And, and I was really taken by, you know, how many beautiful places um, there were to see in Longford. And I was talking to a lot of people there who said so many people arrived in Longford this year for the first time ever. And they're like, I never realised you had these facilities, these places, like there's a bog, there's a pathway there, a bog in, in the bog that dates, you know, thousands of years old. And um, there's one, wonderful things, the countryside, Abbey Shrewl, like they've won so many tiny town awards there and um, the village is absolutely beautiful. So, so that, that's, you know, one of the silver linings, I think, uh, of this year that we get an opportunity to kind of, you know, look closer to home at our doorstep, what's, what's there. Um, so go to for me, I've been planning now, but because of COVID, um, I w- me and my wife have been planning for next year. And now it's going to be is kind of just getting a camper van and going around Ireland because there's so many things that people say, oh, have you been there? And I'd say, I haven't actually been there yet. And then you think it's a shame because I'm from Ireland. But let's say I've never been to the Giants Causeway. So and then Spanish people are saying to me, you've never been there. And I'm like, no. And. It's funny because when I'm living in Spain, Spanish people go all over Spain and around, but they always see a lot of their own country. And in Ireland, we don't do that enough. I mean, so people do it more now, but there's a lot of people in Ireland who will say to you, oh, I've never been to Newgrange or I've never been to the the, uh, Glendala or whatever, you know. So it's I think it's time we start kind of exploring within the country more, no? Absolutely. And, you know, if you look at the statistics, the top five counties in Ireland, Dublin, Galway, where you're from, Cork and Clare. And very understandably, you know, white Dublin obviously will be number one, but then, you know, the beauty of those other counties. But there's so much beauty elsewhere. And like, you know, County, I was talking to somebody myself the other day who said she'd never been 
in Ukraine, you know, and um, a very um, telling, you know, today, obviously, the, the longest or the shortest day of the year, uh, the 21st. And so that's obviously, you know, very much associated with Newgrange and, you know, the winter solstice and all the rest. And um, so it's lovely seeing Newgrange, you know, on the news and in the papers at the moment. But but Meath is wonderful. And, you know, there's so many beautiful spots, like Roscommon was another county that I discovered, not for the first time I've been there, of course, but properly discovered as a tourist, as opposed to just kind of visiting someone or driving by. So, yeah, I think it's wonderful that people do like what you're going to do. Um, get the camper van. And I know I've talked to a few people there recently who own um, caravans, Caravan Park, one of them. And, you know, she was saying this, it's so lovely to see Irish people come and visit. You know, often she would be dependent or the business would be dependent on foreigners coming over, British Americans. And she goes, this year we had so many Irish people. So that's lovely, you know, and I think it's really important that we we know our own country before we get to you know other countries we're a good country yeah i mean we like we we've great heritage and you know not to mention the myths and the legends of ireland there's so many great stories there and i'm really excited about you know visiting places and like you said newgrange and saying to my kids oh this is older than the pyramids and they'll be like how could that be that can't be true and you're like no no it's true and then people say never believe an irish man you know (laughs) So listen, um, so tell us, so just go back to Navin. When you were growing up in Navin, did you feel, you know, did you feel at one with Navin at that time? Did you feel like you, you were happy there, you enjoyed it, or did, were you always kind of itching to get out of it and spread your wings? Um, No, you know, within Navin, you know, I... I, I explored huge huge amount of opportunities for you know actors like i was involved in speech and drama i was involved in the local the drama group dance group i did violin like there's so many opportunities available for me um which i'm so grateful for you know they were very much this, you know very informative years they were kind of the, the stepping stones for me so i had a wonderful time in that but i think a lot of towns in ireland got you know a bad rap you know that um they mightn't be supportive of the arts or whatever it is. I'd never found that with Navin. I had so many opportunities. My weekly schedule, every day I had something. You know, and it's, I can't even believe my parents had four children and each and every one of us had these crazy itineraries every week going off doing all these extracurricular activities. Um, and they're able to facilitate that and support that. So, so I don't want time in Navin. And, you know, my two best friends, I have two best friends I met, Ruth, the first one in play school, and I met the other one in baby infants, and they've been my friends through life, Eamon and Ruth. And, you know, so I have a huge amount of friends there to this day. So, you know, of course, um, everybody would have had a few hairy moments growing up. You know, that's uh, everybody can identify with. Um, but looking back now, you know, any issue I would have had, um, I've completely made my peace with. I, I only look back, you know, with fond memories. Um, as I say, I have so many friends, you know, from my childhood still very present in my life. Um, my parents are still there and they love the town and they're very, uh, very much part of the community, very active in the community. Um, so no, so yeah, no, it, it, it was a great town. And of course, it, it's proximity to, to Dublin always helped. You know, the weekend we could always, um, hop on the bus and come up to Dublin and go to theatre and go to museums or whatever. Um, but no, yeah. Did, did um, you know, when you mentioned the arts there, like at that age when you were, you know, 12, 13, 14, were, was there a lot of good arts facilities and was there a lot of good drama workshops and everything in the town? It, it's, it's improved a lot. We had this wonderful new art center now called the Solstice. Um, 
but, but that wasn't there in, in my day. Like that, that happened just after I had left. Um, so it's a, it's a wonderful biz, uh, building and, you know, it welcomes the best musicians, the best theatre companies, the best artists. But before that, there was a lot of, you know, community centres scattered around that would then double as you know a venue for the local drama groups or the local dance groups or whatever it was so there were a lot of facilities there um not 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 as high tech and you know high end as well as today but yeah no we were never left wanting at all no no did you when you were in navin you know as a teenager growing up did you have like summer jobs or did you work there or did you wait until you went to college to kind of look for work did you have what kind of summer jobs did you have um well during the summers actually we went away quite a lot okay my mother was a teacher so her holidays oh right okay okay um and then my father would kind of save his holidays for the summer so we'd kind of disappear for you know five six weeks each summer oh brilliant very nice wonderful we went obviously to go Mara, Claire, where my dad's from, down to Valencia Island, uh, in Kerry, which is where we stayed for two, three weeks every summer. And um, but it wasn't until a little bit later in life when I needed money, you know, when kind yeah. of older teenager needed a few bob. That's when I started looking for um, some part-time work, and I worked in you know local bars, um, which is wonderful. Like when you're 16 years of age, you know, yeah. being anyway is great crap. So but it's always lovely then to get paid for it. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, so I had a few, you know, my father's very active in the local GAA. Yeah. We have a very big football stadium there called Port Halton. Mm. Um, and my dad got me a job as the scorekeeper. So, you the know, scorekeeper, the big, wow. The big scoreboard. So I had to go up there and um, two, three matches, depends on, on the day. And then just change. And, and it wasn't digital either, I bet you. Oh, but it meant that I had to really focus. I couldn't even Google like you could yeah. today my scores right so I had to watch and I'm not the biggest fan at all of football um, but I had to watch and uh, and sometimes there would be disputes you know sometimes the, the flag would go yeah. up okay that's the score um, but then it might be disputed and then I'd have some angry I don't know fan of one team or the manager of another shouting up at me to change scores and all sorts yeah there's a lot of drama there I, I, I can imagine you having the you know the, the the square piece of wood or whatever it was the plaque or placard and you, you're putting it in and it's halfway in and you're like no no wait 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 and you're like are you sure? oh. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so um, it, it was just a crazy gig to get it was a crazy crazy job you know I got a few bob from it um, it, it was just wonderful yeah it was, it was wonderful so that's kind of how I uh, paid my way during my teenage years being wow, a, a wow. And, and did you great job yeah I've never I've never met anybody who had that job but it's a great job you know um, did you what at what age then did you move out of home and you did you go to Dublin or where did you go to I did I did uh, yes I was 17 Um 17 and I went to, to, to Trinity, uh, which is how I know you because obviously your sister Andrea uh, was in my. Yeah, I, I just explained to the listeners. I first met Donald through my sister Andrea, who and Andrea is an actress as well, and her and Donald studied together in Trinity. And that was 2000, 2001, or? That was 2000, yeah, 2000, 2001, oh, 2003. It was a three year course. Um, so it was 20 years ago um, when we first started back in uh, October. Um, so I I left you know relatively early, um, 
and it, it, it was it was a crazy transitional time you know the course uh, it was an acting course and um, it's something I had always wanted to do you know since I first discovered it I discovered it when I was about 14 I went uh, you know I was researching what I was going to do in, in college and I discovered I said I have to get a place in that course because obviously very very competitive as you can imagine um, but somehow I managed to convince them to allow me in and uh, and there are only 14 of us to begin with and that was whittled down to 12 so 12 was graduated three years later um, so it, it, was an, it was a crazy time and it's a time that I'm kind of looking back on a little bit more now um, particularly when I made that realisation that was 20 years ago since I first you know walked through Front Arch and you know when you're 17 it's a very young age and I'm learning about life and then I'm kind of thrown into this this course that's, you know, it, it was very overwhelming at times because, you know, our itinerary was so jam-packed. We were in at nine o'clock. We were there till six, seven every day. Um, there were very few other people that I knew, you know, in third level who had that kind of jam-packed schedule. Most of them were in for like 10 hours a week. And, you know, even then that was kind of at a push. Um, but for, with us, we were in 50, 60 hours a week. And, but it was wonderful. Like, you know, all, all these amazing tutors and these amazing, like, classmates, you know, like your sister, they were just, you know, as good as it gets. And, 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 you know, coming from Navin, I was very, very active in the drama scene, but I was very much, you know, a big fish in a small pond. And then you go to Dublin and you realize, well, hold on a second. Okay. You're, you're working with like, you know, the big guys here and um so it was very humbling as well very humbling experience but it was wonderful it was wonderful yeah i look back very fondly have you gone back many times like through the front arch as you said to visit those old i remember just you know going with andrea and going to like where you'd study and seeing your small theaters and this kind of stuff and and i mean trinity itself is such an overwhelming place it's so big and there's so many people there and people from around the world but you know, even visiting it can be a bit intimidating. But when you're going there as well, I'm sure it's crazy. It, it, it's, it's it's just absolutely stunning campus. You know, it, it's world class. And I know, um, you know, people would have always used that as a kind of a landmark to meet. I meet at Front, front Arch. Meet. And, um, so, no, I, I would often, I'd often wander around the campus and then, you know, recall those wonderful days by coincidence. When we were in first year, um, we were working, we were uh, devising a show, and uh, we were um, based in the Samuel Beckett Centre. So there's a beautiful theatre there, beautiful dance studio, but there's also small little studios um, that kind of ran parallel to Pier Street. And we were divided up into groups. And by coincidence, I was actually working with, with Andrea, your sister, and we did some research. And we researched the actual studio that we were rehearsing in, and it was 191 Pier Street, is what it was called. And I, so we, we were searching ourselves. We, so we, we all brought in our birth certs and then we were, and then I just made this connection. My birth cert, and I'm sure everyone at around that time's birth cert was stamped and registered in 191 Pier Street. So that studio was now our rehearsal studio was once where all the birth certs, including mine, used to get stamped. And I just thought this is just crazy. That is mad. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So, so, so it, 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 it was a lovely, lovely campus, like the Samuel Beckett Theatre. You know, it's won so many international awards. It's, it's just wonderful. So, it was such an amazing um, opportunity. It was so such a blessing to have been given that opportunity to work there for three years. Um, yeah, and, and, and you know, there's something very safe about it as well, because obviously, when you 
move into um, the acting world. You know, you don't know where your next gig is coming from. You don't know where your next book is coming from. But there was something lovely about being a student for three years. Although, you know, calling ourselves a student, I don't know if that's, you know, very accurate because I don't think I ever felt like I was a student in comparison to my other mates who, as I say, were just, you know, arts or whatever, you know, other degrees. Because um, it's a very different dynamic. Like, I don't think we were, you know, that involved with, let's say, you know, the society, the Phil society or whatever society. We were very much kind of in our own little cocoon. Yeah. And, and, and it's a different thing, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, I, I know that term people use the, the, the lovies, the drama world. And I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very social scene, isn't it? Because you meet all types of people and, you know, it, it doesn't matter if, if somebody is involved in an amateur dramatic society or a musical society. When you go to those nights out, it's like, you know, people say, oh, you know, when you're in a musical because everybody's singing and that's just in the bar, you know. Um, so I remember going to one or two kind of parties and after drinks, things of your shows. And it's full on, isn't it? It's so intense sometimes. Uh, yes, it, it can be full on. And, you know, you'd often joke to another actor, oh, just get off the stage, will you? Because often they can't distinguish between the professional stage and the world and they'll always be on. They'll always, you know, have a story to tell or a joke to say or whatever it is. And um, so I can imagine for other people, um, it can be a little bit <laughs> overwhelming when you're in the company of a bunch of actors. <laughs> I know I know a lot of my friends, you know, who were in college at the same time, you know, they'd be like, oh, whoa, you know, you really need to kind of be battle ready when you, when you came out with us of a night out. Um, I, I think, yeah. yeah. But, but you know, but if you can that side if you accept that element you know actors are wonderful you know they're wonderful people and they're flawed of course like we're all flawed um and you know we all battle with our own insecurities our own struggles and all the rest but um actors you know they that they're good people yeah <laughs> we are. when you finished your degree you know was there a point where you thought okay i'm going to continue doing this or maybe i'm going to do something else was it was it something that you thought no i'm in this for good now or i'm not sure about it it's a really interesting question and it's something that you know i i talk about quite a lot and um, like when i graduated from college and even you know before i went to college and in college i was very linear in my world view i was very much uh, insistent that the only thing i wanted to do ever was act 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 and anything else is distraction and then I graduated and then I realized early that, hold on a second, you know, no matter how successful you are as an actor, no matter how talented you are as an actor, it's essentially a part time job. There will always be, be these times um, where you won't be working or you'll be waiting to work or you'll be doing, you know, auditions or whatever it is. Um, so not even just from a financial point of view, but just in terms of your own mental health and your own mental well-being, it's really important to have other ways of being creative. You know, whether that is gardening or baking or, in my case, writing. Um, it's just really important to have something that you can call your own. Because when you are an actor, um, it can be quite disempowering. You're always dependent on other people's permission to be creative, whether that's an agent, a casting agent, a director, a writer, whoever it is. So you're always waiting for them to say to you, OK, we can work. You can be creative. So I would always encourage people, no matter what stage of their career, to find other ways 
where you can be creative on your own terms. So for me, it was writing. You know, I started off in journalism and then I went and I did a master's in screenwriting and then I um, started, you know, writing books as an author. So these are all things I can do myself. And in terms of my own happiness, um, I've never been as happy, as content, as grounded, as rooted in the world uh, as when I made that decision. And it's the best thing I've ever did to have that awareness, that fluidity to go, okay, I can still absolutely pursue acting 100%, but I'm not going to be blinkered. I'm going to look for other opportunities. And I genuinely believe that I'm a much stronger actor because of my work as a writer and I'm a much stronger writer because of my work as an actor. So, so no, yeah, the original answer, they both help each other. But they, they absolutely complement each other and everything complements each other, you know, and, and, you know, and, and I know, I know a lot of actors who are very, you know, dogmatic about not having distractions. You know, they just want to do the acting, the acting, the acting. And, um, and it's, it's, it's just, you know, not possible until you get to that level. That's a very tiny percentage of, of actors who get to that level and they're literally going from gig to gig to gig. Um, but for the majority of us, you know, uh, that's just not the case. So, um, yeah, so that's why I, I would always encourage any, you know, if a parent came to me and they, their children wanted to be an actors, I'd absolutely encourage them to do so. But I'd also say, look, make sure you have, you know, other lovely ways of earning a few bob and, you know, to be creative. You, you don't have to do something that you don't like doing, you know. You can find, there's so many wonderful ways of being creative and being happy. Um, you just need to kind of tease them out. Yeah. All right. So, so let's go. So I was going to say to you there, um, I remember once talking with Andrea and, you know, I remember I met this other person who was an actor and they were saying, oh, you know, how you could be in a movie or in a TV show. And then somebody meets you in the doll office and they're like, oh, I, I saw you on TV last week. And they're like, why, why are you here? They're kind of confused, but they don't realize that was maybe filmed a year before. And now you don't have much work. And this is the kind of life that for a lot of actors is the hard part for musicians, for everybody, is that people kind of look at the success of something and think, oh, they're set for life or, you know, but it's a very tough world, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, you know, that's a really interesting example because I do think a lot of people have these, um, con you know, preconceived conceptions of acting and the world of acting and, and the financial aspect of the art. Um, I've done, you know, ads and, you know, taxi men have said, oh, you're in that ad. And they would assume, one thought, he goes, how much did you get for that ad? And I'm like, well, um, well how much do you think I got for that ad? I had a few drinks. And, uh, you thought that I got a hundred grand for this. I, I can assure you, I did not get a hundred grand. I got a couple of grand or whatever it was. And, but people can often think that if you are on television, that you're getting these crazy rates. Um, but it, it's it, it's not the case. It's not the case at all. And, and particularly when you get that little bit older in life, you know, I know a lot of actors who have had to leave the game because. You know, they've children, they've mortgages, there are other, you know, needs in, in, in their lives um, that just can't be supported by a career in the arts, you know, which is heartbreaking. Um, you know, I've seen the best actors, the best artists, writers, journalists, you know, slip away um, because they just can't survive. Um, and that is why, you know, those gigs like a TV gig or an ad gig, you know, it's a great way to kind of inject a few bob into the account. Um but no, the, the reality is you might film something 
And, you know, it could be even repeated. I know this year because of COVID, you know, shows like Bachelor's Walk, they were, you know, repeat clinic. Um, Irish actors don't benefit from that. It, 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 other countries, if, you know, I get royalties from shows I did for the UK, BBC. I still get royalties. Um, but in Ireland, it's a different situation, fortunately. So, you know. Really? So, so, so as such in Ireland, for like the clinic and these kind of shows, it's it's not like it, because it's syndicated or whatever. It doesn't the royalties don't come back to the actors. Uh, if they do, it's very 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 little. Um, it's a different contract, so you get a buyout, and so that means that they can use and air it wherever and whenever they want. Um, but in comparison to the UK um, and America, uh, it's very much more supportive to actors in the long run. You know, I, I did 10, 12 years ago abroad and I get, a, you know, a check and not much, like, you know, 30 quid. Thing. Um, but it's been aired somewhere random, like Azerbaijan or somewhere. And uh, and I get a few bob. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a funny old world, you know, uh, the financial aspect of the arts. And I know a lot of people, you know, they, they, they don't. They don't go into the arts to become millionaires. They, they know exactly what it is. Um they, they, they just want to work. They just want to tell stories. Do you know? They just want to live. They want to pay the rent or mortgage or whatever. Yeah. And can, can I ask you, Donut, you know, is it a thing in the acting world where you have this kind of thing where, so let's say, obviously, when, when you meet fellow actors and people you went to college with and, you know, people you, you were that were in that network and in around Dublin, is it a thing that for for an actor if they meet an actor who's in a successful movie or something successful does it knock your confidence if you don't have much at the time because you know you can be like oh i went to college with them and they're really successful now and i'm only doing this small thing or i'm doing nothing i'm sure that can affect the confidence as well no absolutely absolutely and you know what it's a really good point and it's something that i again identified early and you know, your closest of friends all of a sudden will be getting auditions and you wouldn't have gotten a call to audition or they'd get a gig. And and I remember feeling, hold on, something's going to have to change here. I don't want to be resentful of my best friends who are getting gigs. I don't want that. I don't, And because the reality is there will always be other actors working when you are not working. Do you know? So I made a decision. If I am going to continue in the world of acting, I'm going to have to completely accept and embrace the idea that everyone's on their own journey. And I can't compare myself to somebody else. And their success doesn't mean that's my failure. It's great that they're working and that they're getting an opportunity uh, to tell stories and to be a part of the great production, hopefully. Um, but I can't use that as a mirror and say, oh, well, their success means that's my failure at all. And I've, and I've you know, really remained true to that. So anytime I do hear of a pal or I bump into somebody who is doing whatever it is, um, they're on the national stage or they're in a Hollywood movie. It's brilliant. And, you know, and I'm delighted uh, for them. Um, but that's their journey, you know, and I have my own journey and I'm delighted with my own journey. And I'll obviously, you know, come across bumps along the way, but they also will. You know, we can often, um, you know, think, the whole, you know, grass is greener and all the rest. We can often think that their worlds are, are fantastic and, and they're not. So that's something I, again, one little lesson I learned to myself that I realised early stop comparing, you know, um, because it's just the nature of the game. Um, unless you want to avoid actors entirely, which is impossible, you know, um, every actor will have news, they'll have their, their good news. Um, but then the other side of that as well, 
you can then get caught. To, you, you know, you can get a little pleasure from other people's um, failures or, you know, you can find yourself gravitating towards negative people. You know, um, and you know, having a bitch or having a moan about other people, but that's just absolutely futile. You know, it might feel good in the moment, or to kind of have an out bitch about somebody, or you know, discuss a certain failure. Like, but that's just not a healthy way to live your life. Um, so that's definitely something I identified early, and I, and I wish more people would discuss that. Would just the idea that, of course, it is difficult when you see somebody um, working and you're not working. We would all love to be working all the time, but that's just the hard facts that people will work when you won't and vice versa. And you just have to find a way to to embrace it. And the thing is, in, in Ireland, you know, Irish people are great people and they're, you know, very welcoming and everything. But, you know, there's this word begrudgery that sometimes in Irish society where, you know, you see when comedians make fun of it, you know, where someone gets a new car and you go, oh, you know, well, where? Congratulations. And they walk away and you go, bastard, you know. So <laughs> so the, the, this it's kind of envy. So it's something that we all have. But as you get older, you kind of have to say, well, look, it's it's not my time. And his success is nothing to do with my lack of success at the moment. So I have to wish him or her well and just, you know, kind of hope that it's good karma that, I, I, I kind of feel now that the more I can help other people be successful by just, you know, sharing a post or, you know, helping them in some way, that's going to come back on me in some ways. And I, and I think that's the way you have to look at it, no? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that applies to, you know, almost every aspect in life, you know, to have an open heart and to support others. Um, but, you know, ego, the ego will always come in and you'll have these voices in your head and, you know, of course, you, you might go, well, hold on a second. Why are they getting all these gigs and I'm not? Does that mean that I'm not good enough or good looking enough or whatever it is? And you can form these narratives. And that's why, you know, for a lot of artists, you know, we would struggle with, with mental health issues every now and then, whether it's, you know, anxiety or depression or self-confidence, self-esteem. Um, often people think that we don't because actors can often put on the, you know, the show, the jazz hands and they'll be loud and it'll be all fun and fabulous but there is the other side to acting that little bit darker side you know where we would every day contend with mental health issues that are related to confidence and self-esteem um and that's why you have to find ways uh, to overcome that and that's why you know for me writing became a very organic way of doing it that you know i'll always have um opportunities to be creative i'll always have uh little ways of, you know, making myself feel proud about my achievements. That's not always the case in the world of, of acting, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so at the moment, you've just filmed Ross and Rune, And is this this is your seventh season or sixth or seventh season? No, oh, it's, actually, no it's actually my ninth. My ninth, ninth okay. Yeah. Ninth season for 10 years. Um, wow. So, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's such a wonderful gig to get, you know, because... First of all, it, it's us quite, I guess, it's a lovely opportunity to speak in Irish. Yeah. Did you it, always speak Irish? Did we, did you speak Irish before that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, all my family, we all went to the Goyle School in Navan. Um, so we were speaking Irish, you know, daily um, at school and at home. Um, so, you know, when I went to college, my Irish slipped a little bit. Um, but then as soon as I graduated, I got these wonderful opportunities to work in Irish, you know, with theatre companies and in television. Um, so I always feel so blessed that I have essentially two careers running, you know, in tandem um, in English. 
and an Irish. So uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful gig to get. And uh, as well as that, it's filmed in Spiddle in Connemara. You know, and Connemara is one of the most beautiful regions in the entire world. So every time I go down, you know, we would film August to February. This year, the dates changed a little because of COVID. Um, but I always felt like I was going down on, on my summer holidays, you know, because it's just so magnificent and so wonderful. Um, so it's been a wonderful uh, nine, it's nine seasons over 10 years. So it's been a wonderful 10 years. And um, the people are just great. You know, they're just fun and professional and, you know, oh, they're just great. I love them. I love them dearly. We have a hashtag. Our social media team has a hashtag, hashtag Clown Rusnaroon, which is the Rusnaroon family. And it very much is a family. And we're so supportive of each other. Like, you know, I, I launched my first book four years ago called Sister Agatha and I had two launches. I was greedy. I had two launches, one in Navin and one in uh, Scandoon department store in, in, in Connemara. And the entire the entire team of Rusnaroon came out to support me and they sang songs, they did readings, they danced. It was just one of the most magical days of my entire life. And it's something I will cherish forever. Just that absolute support. You know, if you had any problem, you could ring somebody and they will help you. Whether it's something as simple as giving you a lift to the shop while it was raining or whether it's bigger than that, you know, a life problem, an illness or something. There's just an extraordinary team there, and uh, and I love them dearly, and I feel very blessed that I have had these opportunities to kind of to be there, in that environment, um, and to call them my friends, to call them my family. It's been great. That that's really nice. That's really nice. How, explain to us, you know, how it works when you go down there to film. Do you stay in Spiddle for a few days, and do you, or do you, like do you do they say to you, Donald, you have two days of shooting, or do you have to be kind of on standby? all the time well there's two different contracts there's a daily contract and a weekly contract and um, the majority of us would be uh, on weekly contracts so there are 24 23 or 24 filming weeks within that six um week uh, six month uh, period and then you get x amount of weeks so you'd know your weeks i'm going to be in for all of september but i'm going to be off for the start of January or whatever, so you'd know. And um, so what I what I would do is I would uh, rent a little um, house there. I'm down alone. Um, yes, in, in Spiddle. So I, I would uproot, um, and then I'd come back to Dublin if I had a couple of weeks off. Then I'd return. So um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's the structure. But there are actors there um, who would be on daily contracts, and then they'd know their days, and they'd come down, and they might stay in a B and B or the, you know a local hotel or whatever it is. Um, so yes, that's kind of the structure. And is it like when you go down there and, you know, in that kind of, is it the same as a lot of other soaps and things where you're, you're, you could be working for a few hours or you're rehearsing? How does your day, the normal day be when you're down there? There are no normal days. There are no normal days. Normal days at all. Um you know, each week varies. You could have six scenes in one week. The next week, you could have 30 scenes. You know, your your day could be, you could have a free day or you could be in at half eight and you could be wrapping at, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night. Um, so it, it, it really varies. Sometimes your, you know, your character and your character story would be very central. Um, and sometimes you'd be, you know, in a supporting role, supporting other character stories. So it alternates. Um, 
this, you know, the last six weeks, my character has been very, very central. So I've had a crazy, wonderful, you know, six weeks, but crazy hours. Um, but it's, it, it's always great, you know, when your character, um, is, is central in the storylines. And, you know, I won't say anything about, about the storyline itself, but, um, these past six weeks, I don't think I've ever felt as challenged. Um, They've been wonderful, very emotional, a lot of tears and all this and a lot of shouting and screaming and all the rest. Um, but it's been wonderful. It's, it's, it's been really wonderful. And that's what's so extraordinary about being a part of a soap is that you're always getting new stories. You're always getting these new opportunities, you know, opportunities, you know, to be a comedy actor, to be a dramatic actor or, or to be a physical actor, you know, Rusty Roon, um, really kind of celebrates comedy. I know our audiences love a bit of comedy, a bit of quirkiness and, um, and, and you know, and, and it's such an I, I, idyllic set. Black humour, a little, yeah. Absolutely. And, and, they, and they love it. And, 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 and the thing that we have is so magnificent, you know, like Hollywood for years, you know, have been making films about Connemara and rural Ireland and the beautiful vistas and stuff. So, you know, as much as possible, we try and go out, you know, whether it's down to the Keys and Spiddle or up to the Bogs or whatever it is. Of course, weather isn't always very supportive, of, particularly in these winter months. Um, like, for example, we were filming last week down in the Key in Spiddle and, you know, it's going to transmit in April, which, you know, April Ireland is nice. We're filming it in the depths of winter, yet, you know, our, our clothing would have to align with what characters would wear in April, for example. Uh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, so I couldn't... I couldn't yeah, because I, I, I was going to ask you that question, um, how, you know, if you're filming now, how usually, how long after does that air? It, it's about four months, I think. It's about four months. It's about that, three to four months. Um, which is, you know, again, crazy because we'd have to film Christmas episodes, you know, back in August, September. So for we'd be surrounded by, you know, Christmas trees and decoration, you know, things like holidays, like uh, Paddy's or Valentine's weekend. And it's just always so bizarre, you know, just your own senses kind of seeing all these, you know, but, but the weather, the weather must really get in the way because, you know, like, it's like in Spain here, you see a picture of someone's house at Christmas in Marbella and it's still, it looks the same as in June, maybe, you know, there's still sun shining. But as you said, if you're trying to do Christmas and it's the warmest weather in Ireland, people are like, that can't be Ireland at Christmas. That doesn't make sense. I, I know it, 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 it can be challenging at times, you know, film, filming scenes that are going to air you know, in April, May, June, because we, we, we would transmit up until June, filming them in months like January. And, you know, as well, you know, being from Galway, um, Ireland, it, it's, it's tricky weather-wise, it can be cold. But then, that you know, we have, we have an amazing, like an amazing costume department and they go all out in trying to, you know, support the actors, you know, in terms of putting keep warms or putting you know, heat packs in our shoes or in our pockets. And, you know, so it's only when we go for a tape, we'd have to then just take all that off and then, you know, try and ignore the, the conditions. But, you know, it's that kind of support um, that often is unsung. You know, often when we look at, you know, TV or films, we kind of just, you know, focus in on the talent on screen. But it's the support that we 
like as I say, you know, from the ma- hair, makeup to the costume, they're always, always finding ways to make it as easy as possible for us. Um, you know, when we're on camera, um, and you know, I, just thinking about those scenes I had last week down the quay, like you know, our wardrobe department, Geraldine and Blo and Paula, they would just do everything to kind of keep us as warm as possible um, in those wintry, wintry conditions. So, You're like the kids going to school on the winter morning. Uh, we often joke that, like, you know, our mother's coming out and wrapping us up. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, probably in, yeah, probably in Ireland is one of the only countries that the film crews don't need a machine to make rain or, like, these overhead hoses or whatever. <laughs> They're probably like, no, no, we don't need to buy that. Within ten, ten, uh, five hours, it'll be raining, guaranteed. Yes, yes. I, I, go, I heard somebody say to me once that Galway, it rains 200% more often than it does in Dublin. And, and I, I believe that, you know, I believe that. Um, but it's the price we have to pay for the most beautiful version. Yeah. Well, you know? I mean, that's what makes it so beautiful too, you know, the rain. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let, let's move on to your books because, you know, now the, the, your latest book is your, it's your third book, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. My, um, it's called Crazy for You, and actually, it's about a, a soap a, a soap actor who works in an Irish soap hospital, <laughs> um, and, and it's about a relationship he has with um, an overzealous fan, and and it's it's it, there's different genres out there, and um, it, it, you know it's comedy, but there's a genre there called auto fiction, which is a kind of a hybrid of autobiography and fiction and initially when I wrote the book the main character was called Donal the soap that he worked on was called Russ and Rune my parents were my parents my friends were my friends and all the rest and uh, and I wrote a draft and I sent it to uh, a pal of mine who's also a writer and she's you know one of the few people I'd always ask to read like an early draft manuscript to get her thoughts and the only person in that draft who was fictional was the fan the frantic or fan called Vani. And she said to me, my friend said to me, she goes, the one character, the only character that I believe is Vani. And I'm like, what? I'd written all these characters who were me, who were my parents. And she goes, it's really obvious that you, you don't want to offend anybody. So you're painting them in the best light possible. So everybody I was talking about, you know, were beautiful and intelligent and all And as a reader, that's really, you know, uninteresting. You want dirt, you want to see these flawed characters. And it was a real kind of, you know, wake-up call for me that, you know, I have to get these characters to be a little bit dirty and a little bit kind of, you know, nuanced rather yeah. than just you know, angelic. To have flaws. Absolutely. And by God, I have many flaws, but they weren't coming across. And, you know, anyway, so so, so I made a big decision then to kind of to, to move away from autofiction. So then everybody became a fictional character you know i became Clooney, and um now, of course anybody who reads it will be able to see traces of my parents my upbringing and all the rest but it allowed me the freedom then to make all the characters dirty and to have fun with them and uh, the, 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 there's a wonderful french term it's called um roman a la clay which means a book with the key and basically it's it, it, it's something similar to what i did it's you know you give the writer a key and you kind of say, look, this is fictional, but it's also based on real life. So you can imagine um, that these fictional characters are the real characters, you know. And, and a lot of that is, you know, often to do legal reasons, you know, lie, being liable for, for saying. 
know, and um, but it, it kind of it, it kind of just gives the readers a key to go, okay, this is a character called Clooney, but the writer is very similar, so they'll then kind of envisage me. Yeah, and- yeah, it, it, it's kind of like you can tell that you know when you read some author's work, you know it's a fictitious character, but you can tell it's them in disguise. You know, and but can I can I ask you when you change the name of people? Then did you the the characters kind of flourished more? They came out a lot more. Uh, uh, absolutely, and you know, in those early drafts, I was being very open and honest about my own experiences and life experiences as a gay man growing up in Navan as experience as an actor in Ireland. I was like, exper- I was you know being very open about it, but I was also phrasing it in a certain light. You know, that made me, um, I, I was being very cautious about it. And I still was trying to show my struggles in a positive light. Whereas in later drafts, I was able to kind of then get rid of that, you know, get rid of my ego of trying to present my challenges in a certain way or me being the hero when I wasn't the hero at all. And likewise with, with, with other characters. And so it was, it was great. It was, it was a really interesting project to work on, to kind of start there and then to see where it kind of ended up being. Um, when you said there, it was like auto-fiction there, did you feel it was kind of a way for you to, you know, express some of your demons and get some things out there that, you know, like what I mean is possibly you were thinking, am I going to write a biographic or an autobiographic book or is it going to be me? I'm going to be cheekily poking my head out and they go, is that Donald talking about himself? Or You know what I mean? Was it a way for you to get things out there that you went through in your life? Well, the reason I wrote this story years ago, I was at a dinner party and I made this joke to say that I'd really make it in life as soon as I had a stalker. Yeah. And everyone said, be careful what you wish for. So this yeah. book started off as a fantasy, if I did yes. have a stalker. Yeah, what? yeah. Um, but it was always going to be a fiction story. I don't have, I don't have any stalkers. No, oh no. Um, Maybe you'll have one after this. Quite, yes, quite, quite, quite possibly. Um, so, so it was all you know, a fictional narrative. But yes, as you say, I was using it as an opportunity to address, you know, moments in my life, milestones in my life, um, positive and negative ones, challenging ones, all the rest. And actually a friend of mine, you know, who I mentioned earlier on, Eamon, who, you know, I met in, in baby infants when we were four, you know, he read it and he was really interested to see some of the things I had talked about. And he goes, I can really see you're making peace with certain moments of your life. Don't really love you. Year. It wasn't very much a conscious effort to do that. It just kind of happened organically. And I've always been making peace with, with, with so many things uh, that have happened in my life. And, you know, um, we all face, face challenges. So it was such a blessing that I had this platform um, to address it, but not necessarily at a conscious level. I didn't sit down to go, I need to eradicate demons from my life at all. It just happened organically. Um, that, that's what I did. and But he was able to identify, because oh, I can see now, you know, you're kind of clearing out the closet a little bit with this book. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose people get their own perceptions. And, you know, the one thing, you know, I would kind of, that I would think about something like that as well, you being an actor, um, sometimes being an actor, you're under somebody else's direction. So you're playing a character that somebody else wrote 
you're trying to portray it as true to life as you can, but it's not you. So, I mean, normally in biopics, people don't play themselves. So when you get a chance to write and do a book, I mean, you can talk about your past experiences and things you've gone through, even if the character isn't you, but you're at the helm, you're writing. So you can be like, yeah, it might be me in disguise, but it's still there's a bit of me coming out. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, no matter what um, what I'm writing, whether it's an article or whether it's a book, there'll always be me, you know, their evidence. Um but yeah, it, it, was, it was, it was, it was a shift in gear. You know, it was my third book and my three books are, they're all comedies. Um, but this would be a very different type of comedy. Um, it, it was, it was, it was a great experience. And then obviously when you read the book, you have to then support it. So I got wonderful opportunities to write about the, the experiences, you know, in the media. And even that was a very kind of, um, exciting experience to actually, you know, then reflect on the project, reflect on the process and and to kind of to pull out to tease out various themes that I wanted to to explore and you know a big theme in the book is the idea of um of celebrity you know and this obsession so many of us have about being seen being visible being adored being acknowledged um and there maybe you know things that motivated me earlier in my career um and it was lovely to kind of make that recognition that they don't motivate me anymore this idea of, you know, what we perceive as being successful. You know, we, we talk now about how many, you know, friends does somebody have on Facebook, how many followers do they have on Instagram or Twitter and all the rest. And um, and that to me is not a barometer of success or whatever. So these are, these are just themes to explore the idea that we want, you know, often with actors and artists and people, you know, in, in the media, you know, now social, you know, influencers and, you know, this idea of, you know, adore me, love me, like me, follow me, praise me. Um, that's, you know, that's definitely something I think, you know, actors might identify with, you know, for me, I did early, but it was very lovely to go, that, that doesn't interest me or motivate me um, at all. Can I ask you, you mentioned there, you know, when you were talking about like growing up in Navin and, and then into the acting world, you know, as, as a, a gay man, have you, when you look back now over the last 20 years, do you feel that Ireland has progressed a lot in its attitude towards people working in the arts, you know, and in literature and everything who are, let's say, you know, because there would be the old Irish thing that people would hide things to protect their careers, but now we can be far more open about stuff. Do you do you feel that's progressed a lot? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I think Ireland. I think Ireland now is a shining light in the world when it comes to um, the gay community, the LGBT. I think we've done amazing. Uh, we've had amazing strides in the past few years. Obviously, you know the cherry on the cake was um, the marriage referendum that we had. Um, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it's transformative, you know, from, you know, I was born in 82. So this the difference between, you know, the early 80s and, and now. Oh, it's fantastic. And a lot of people, a lot of, you know, international countries look towards us. A lot of countries who, you, you know, who used to be the leaders when it came to, you know, human rights and stuff like that now turn to us. And, um, you know, for the gay community, uh, of course, there'll always be work, you know, there'll always be room for improvement, there'll always be those who wouldn't share my experience. There'll be, you know, gay people who would say, no, hold on a second, I still feel very oppressed and I uh, feel very rest. Um, For me, my personal experiences are, uh, no, we, you know, we've definitely moved ahead. And I, I can even see from 
you know, roles, you know, when I started off auditioning, I often got typecasted, you know, auditioning for roles, the, the gay, but it was the, the, the token gay, you know, he was never, the, the characters I used to read for, they were never central leading men. They were always like the gay best friends. They were stereotypes. They were kind of what, you know, straight people perceived the gay person to be. Where does that happen in the process? Is that that they approach your agent or the casting director has seen you in something else or like, you know, because it's kind of um, in some way, I suppose it can be a little insulting if somebody says, oh, you know, we think you'd be good as this gay man in this role. And you're like, why? I mean, are you just are you trying to typecast me? What What's the reason? Is it because you saw me in something else? So I'm, that must be a bit of a struggle to re, to reason to yourself. Am I being stereotyped here? It's you know, it's a really big conversation, and you know I suppose for me, um, I've no problem playing, playing a character who is gay. That's something that's changed a lot because before is will you play this character, this gay character? That one is problematic because to me you know, one of the least interesting parts about a character is their sexuality. You know, I'm much more interested in the other aspects of them. Of course, that'll influence the character, the scene, um, but it should be the be-all and end-all. And when I first started auditioning, it was just gay, gay, gay. You know, you'd see stage directions. He flounces here and he flounces there. There's just this nonsense that I'd no interest in. But I always think, well, it's safer in your hands as in my hands than another actor. So I would then be able to kind of, you know, <laughs> tame it a little bit and kind of make that, you know, the gay character more um, balanced and nuanced and, you know, interesting. Um, but fast forward to today, you know, we see a lot of characters, um, gay characters, central characters being played by straight people, you know. So, so that's the other side of it. So you see a lot of gay actors who are, you know, not gay enough to play straight, but they're too gay to play gay. And it's just this really weird, you know, situation. Maybe for some, maybe for some actors, they don't want to be always put into that role because they're like, it's as you said, it's nothing to do with my sexuality. So then maybe there are some straight actors say, yeah, I could do that because it's a challenge for me. So, you know, maybe we have a mixture of things going on now. You know, a gay person going, no, I don't want to do that role all the time. And a straight actor going, I'd like to try that role, see what it's going to be like. Well, I think I think the majority of actors, you know, who are gay would jump at the chance to play these leading roles now because gay characters are so much more exciting. You know, you know obviously films like Brokeback Mountain, you know, they were game shows. And, you know, a lot of gay characters now, they are the heroes of the stories. They are they have the struggles and you know we shine a light on them we don't just allow them to be in the periphery we have brought them front and center so i think you know what i'm describing you know early on in my career 20 years ago is very different to today because the gay characters within these scripts are so much stronger so much more interesting Um, and have more depth absolutely you know absolutely um so, so, it's, so it's, an, it's an interesting one because, you know, I do know a lot of, um, you know, characters and it goes way beyond gay. You know, it goes, be, you know, in terms of gender, in terms of religion, in terms of physical, um, different physicalities, you know, um, so many, there's so many ways that we can celebrate, you know, minority groups. And this is a great way to do it by giving them a voice, giving them an opportunity to allow them to take on these roles. You know, of course, 
actors will always say, but, you know, my job is to act different characters. And, you know, Hamlet, you don't have to have a father who's killed by your uncle and all the rest. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't have to be that real. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, these are just wonderful opportunities to make, um, to make, you know, minority groups visible. You know, to give them an opportunity. Well, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's for me. I think it's um, it's what you said there a minute ago. It's you know, the great thing about if you're a good actor, you should be able to play all types of roles, and it's nothing to do with your sexuality. Like what way? If they say, "Oh, we want you to be more camp or whatever," and you you're kind of like, "Well, yeah, but I'm an actor, you know, so I can be camp if you want, or I can be Bruce Willis and Die Hard. I can be whatever you want." But the point is, it's acting. It's not about. It's not called sexuality, you know. It's called acting. So the good actors can do any role, and we've seen some of the best actors play some amazing roles. And those actors were not gay, and vice versa. You see, you, as you said, some straight men do some wonderful gay roles. So it's the job acting. So I think nowadays it's great when you can see actors being really diverse and doing different roles, not based on their sexuality, but on their skills. Well, I, well, you know, it's an interesting conversation again, you know, who, who are the people are, that are getting these opportunities to be diverse? And unfortunately, a lot are straight white men who are getting diverse. Um, and, you know, we, we, we've seen in the news a lot over the past few years, you know, actors like Harry Hansen taking on the, um, you know, Asian characters and all the rest. And, and it's like, no, let's give these other people an opportunity to get the main roles. Let, let Asian, let people of colour, you know, sexuality, give them opportunities to tell their stories. And that's, to me, what's really, really important. I'm delighted and encouraged that gay characters now are visible on screen. Just, I, I, I just want, um, you know, I want women, I want gay people, I want people of colour, I want all these people to be given the same opportunities as, you know, our, our white heterosexual counterparts. Because, you know, and, and it extends way beyond um, cinema and, and television, like, you know, even in media, it's so important to have voice, you know, from those who aren't heard that often. And I think that's something we always, always have to ask. How can we be more inclusive? You know, because the arts is, it, you know, it's a business. It's called show business. We'll get that. Um, but it also is a wonderful environment, you know, that celebrates the diverse diversity. So that's something that we can never lose sight of, that we always have to kind of insist that everyone's getting an opportunity and not just. And, and that's it. And the thing is now, it doesn't matter if you're a, singer in a heavy metal band or you're an actor and a thing it, it all of these things you can be whoever you want to be and still do your job very well and people might never guess of your sexuality anything and i mean that's the way it should be it it shouldn't you know you shouldn't have to wh what the role you play shouldn't define who you are and vice versa you know so i, I think it's great when you see somebody and you can be shocked you know, like if you if someone said to you, oh, that guy's gay. And you're like, I never I wouldn't have realized because in the past, people put other people in roles that made it easy to say he's gay, he's straight or, you know, they're transgender. So the great thing is now to surprise people and say, well, it doesn't matter anyway. It doesn't matter because these categories in these boxes are only something we are forefathers created and are, you know, the, the conservative society. But for us. We have to just go, I can jump from whatever box I want to jump into. doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, where I would love this conversation to go, I mean, in, in the world, is that, you know, 
people can have ownership over their sexuality, that it doesn't become, you know, um, a situation where it's like, well, you know, why can't they be open, you know, and why can't they, you know, go to a red carpet event with their, you know, partner and all the rest. I'd love for us to move away from this idea that, you know, someone's sexuality shouldn't matter. Of course, someone's sexuality does matter. So, you know, it, it, it defines us. You know, our sexuality is so part of who we are. Uh, but, but I'd love for the conversation that follows not to be an issue, that people don't become uncomfortable about a man talking about a man or a woman talking about his, you know, female partner. Um, I'd lo- you know, I, I, I'd love for us to move in, in that direction. Um, but there's still a huge amount of people who, you know, not just in the arts, but in sports and, you know, in politics, or who aren't allowed to be their, their true style. They're not allowed to have their sexuality uh, discussed and celebrated. Like, love is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It makes the world go round. Of course, you know? of course. And I mean, now... In this day and age, you know, we need more of love between people and there's so many things we're facing. And you know what I mean? It's great. Uh, as I always think, it's good to have someone there for you. It doesn't matter who they are or what they are, as long as people are happy. And, you know, that's all that matters. So, come here, let's, let's move on a little bit. Um, to, I just want to, you know, I'm not going to keep you for too much longer, but I just want to talk about your print work with magazines and stuff, you know. So you were working with Irish Tatler for men and you're working with Woman's Way. Now, what, what else, what other magazines have you been working with? Um, well, yeah, Irish Tatler Man is where I started. Um, that that folded, unfortunately, about three, three years ago. But that's where I started. I, I, I had such a blessing um, with my editor there, Alexander, and he liked what I wrote. I, I, I wrote him um, years ago. Um, I, I did a, a piece about being a, I used to go to weddings quite a lot and I did a, a piece called the plus one about kind of anecdotes, observations and stuff. So I went to him and he said, I really like this, but I haven't got a slot for you for that, for that, but would you want to do some other work? And that's kind of how it all started. And then within issues, I became deputy editor and I was interviewing amazing people and I was doing features writing. And um, so that, that was just, you know, it, it was such a bizarre thing because as an actor, you're always fighting and fighting and fighting to get jobs and all the rest. It was just so unexpected um, and so organic. So uh, I've kept my relationship with him. I work with him now uh, in a fashion magazine called Futura. It's a trade magazine. So I'd still work with him a lot. Um, but from there, I um, started working with, uh, with Woman's Way. Um, I have a monthly column there, um, which, which, which is wonderful. That's a great opportunity again to, you know, talk about issues that are of interest to me and in topics that I think would be of interest to the readers. Um, but, but for me, it's very important, you know, as a columnist, not to turn it into like a soapbox, not for me that on my high horse, because, you know, a lot of the readers of Woman's Way would be people like my mother who, who know wonderful things and um so I, I i don't feel that you know it's my job to tell them you should feel this and you should think that uh, like a lot of other columnists tend to do i just use an opportunity to discuss and explore topics that are of interest to me and then i will always um you know interview the experts i will them an opportunity then to um to say things that i could never say like you know I, i'm not lots of things i'm not a doctor i'm not a psychologist i'm not all these other things so i would just but i love asking questions you might be able to tell because i'm the interviewee but in general i love being where you're seated and i love asking questions and i love exploring and finding out uh new information so um i will always 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 uh 
you know, ask the questions, get those insights and share those. So I love doing that with, with, with Woman's Way. Um, the other main magazine that I write for is a magazine called Ireland of the Welcomes. Um, and it's not very well known in Ireland because it's largely for our uh, American readers and, and British. So a lot of those who, you know, um, might have left Ireland or would have strong connections to Ireland or have an interest in Ireland. Um, so I would write, you know, travel features. I would write, you know, uh, maybe about the arts, various topics. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bi-monthly. Um, so, so that, that is a gorgeous, gorgeous magazine, a lovely magazine, beautifully laid out. Um, so I feel very blessed, you know, with Woman's Way and with Ireland of the Welcomes. They're magazines that I really like i love my editors i love the voice of the magazines and um, so it, it, it's such a wonderful thing for me to be a part of it yes um has, yeah, has, so my- has woman's way changed a lot because obviously you know the biggest demographic would be women readers but maybe that's changed a lot too because you know i remember you, you'd always be in the doctors you know and you you're you looking for something to read and then you see a woman's way magazine and you pick it up and you're reading it you know so obviously men wouldn't be the biggest audience for it but at times they might pick it up at home or in in the reception or the waiting room um well i i can't comment on older magazines because i i i I don't know. I, I do remember vividly my granny getting me to enter the competitions. They used to have a corner. So every week they had competitions, write poems. And so that's what I remember. Um, yes. Wonderfully liberal, open. They, they have real topical issues explored every single issue. Um, you know, it, the voice, my, my voice would be very much aligned with, with their voice. They've, you know, they have this wonderful ability to embrace modernity while also celebrating traditions, you know, you know, like, you know, recipes, our heritage, knitting, a lot of those crafts, um, that would have been very prevalent in Ireland decades ago. Um, they're wonderful. They have a, an annual, um, competition called, uh, Mom of the Year. And I was a judge this year. And, um, you know, just reading these amazing stories of women and um, mothers, you know, who have sacrificed so much, but also have embraced all these other opportunities in Korea and, in, 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 you know, in the community. Um, so so it, it's a really exciting magazine that manages, as I say, to combine both the old and the new. Um, in terms was, of male... Was that, was that show televised, Mom of the Year, one time, no? Did that used to be on it, TV? It used to it used to be at the Callergas Housewife of the That's Year. That's right, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Which is actually, which is the backdrop of my second book, Colin of the Concubine. Um, fascinated by, but that, that ended in the early nineties. Um, but has evolved. Um, that it's it, it's Mom of the Year, and you know it's, it's interesting to see the evolution of the Housewife of the Year competition because that obviously started in the, you know in the sixties, and Woman's Way was associated, and the sponsors changed over the years. You know, it's no longer about the woman in the home, the woman. The woman. And of course, if a woman's choice is to be in the home, that's absolutely fantastic. Should be celebrated. But also, you know, there's so many women now who are, you know, pursuing their career um, as much as they're pursuing their, their, their home life. And so that's reflected in this modern competition. It's those who also, you know, um, have embraced opportunities outside of the home just as much as they have within the home. Um, so, so that's a real reflection of the changing of times. Um, so it just, it, you know, in terms of male voices, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if, um, you know, male readers would be our target. Um, I would be a male voice with, with, within the magazine. And, and that's great that I have given that opportunity. Um, 
to be a male voice within. And it's interesting because I obviously started with an Irish tattler man and that was obviously geared towards our male readers. And now Woman's Way, you know, it's there in the title, man and woman. Um, but we, but we, we had female voices absolutely in Irish Tatler Man. And, you know, it, it, to give a perspective, not to say that my column in Woman's Way is about the male perspective at all. Um, but we did have a columnist, Tanya Sweeney in Irish Tatler Man, who would give the female perspective and things. Um, so, so, so it, it's great to have, you know, a, a voice from, you know, a man and a woman in a man and a woman's magazine as well, you know, just to, to mix it up a little bit. So I'm Yeah, well, I, I, I think what it is in, you know, if your demographic is largely male or female, if you have another voice in there or more voices, then the other demographic, the opposite sex would might, when they're reading through, they might pick out your column and say, oh, you know, and, and not because you're a man or whatever, but it's just, as you say, you, in in, the, uh, in a lot of the columnists, they could be female. And then when they're going through, you know, like the guy in the waiting room reading the magazine, they're like, oh, who's, who's this guy, you know, or whatever. And it's just a different perspective, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um so yeah, so so so, so that that that's they're, they're mainly my mainly my uh, my magazines, Woman's Way, Ireland of the Welcomes, and Once Upon a Time Irish Tatterman, which is a wonderful magazine. But it's a, it's a trick time for you know for magazines in general because obviously with the growth of social media, so many of us go to Facebook or Twitter for our news, you know, and look at the numbers of daily newspapers, weekend newspapers, magazines, they're plummeting, 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 yeah. plummeting. The, the, whole, the whole print industry has been really hit by digital media. And I mean, for in Woman's Way, for example, do they, you know, is there kind of a percentage of stuff they sell on print or do they have a digital edition as well? They do have a digital edition, absolutely. And this year it was wonderful that we did have a digital ed- edition because so, you know, many of our readers would leave the home, they were cocooning. So able to access uh, the magazine online so there is a digital edition there's also great um what you know website with some not all of the articles are up on the website uh social media obviously so woman's way is always looking for opportunities to connect with the readers uh, and you know there's wonderful opportunities for any uh reader who likes to write stories you know short story companies and all the rest and they write in letters so it, it, it's about finding ways of you know, remaining connected to our readers. And this year really kind of shone a light on the importance of having an online presence, you know, and that's across the board, you know, retail, you know, those who were able to kind of weather the storm were those who had websites in place that they could then trade online. And I know the government now has since supported a lot of retailers, you know, small, smaller buildings to get themselves online. Um, you know, and that's and that's really, really important, you know, moving forward. I mean, that's really good. And it's good because it, you know, it, it's just a case now of older people and people who wouldn't have had an online presence to adapt themselves because now obviously we're living in a more virtual world and things are changing, you know. Um, so for you now, you know, in the next few months or a few years, it's more Ross and Rune, obviously, yeah. And you know, do you have any other kind of acting jobs that you can do and while you're doing Ross and Rune, or is it very difficult to to do both? Um, no, you know, I think if this year has taught us anything, it's you know, any plans you might have, good luck. You know, obviously, the world just turned on its head this year, so so you know, I just always kind of look at the the next couple of months ahead. And, 
you know, so much of my work um, would have been around travel. I would do a lot of travel, travel, and a lot of that would have been abroad. So I'm not sure, you know, where that's all at at the moment. You know, I was trying to organise a press trip to Athlone, to Westmead the other day, and then I had to kind of uh, postpone it because, you know, I just don't know. You're like, I can't even, I'm, I, I'm thinking about going to France and I can't even get to Westmead. And that's, that's where we're at. That's where, like, you know, I was in Longford recently on a press trip and that almost fell apart at the last minute because obviously the level, these, you know, uh, they're different in Spain, but in Ireland, we've, you know, level one to five. And that means that hotels can only open for certain. Anyway, it, 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 you, know, you know what it is. So I, I can't make any long-term plans at all. I have a, a book. My fourth book has just been, it's just, I just finished that first draft. So I will, I'll focus in on that in, in January. Um, well, I have some other lovely little things happening, you know, uh, in the future, hopefully. Um, and uh, can I can ask you, I've seen there, obviously, your your, your partner is from Venice or whatever. Do, do you have you you have a house there or you travel there a lot? Uh, well, his, his family is still very much there. Um, so we, we have we have stayed there for, for long periods of time in the past. It's, you know, it's a Venice. It's just like one of the most magnificent the world is like an outdoor museum and um, but it's very surreal at the moment because speaking of athlone like athlone and venice are kind of in around the same size <laughs> yeah athlone. yeah yeah but venice gets 30 million that's a conservative effect, 30 million tourists a year the whole island of ireland gets in around nine so you know, it's, it's it's extraordinary the number of people who are there in a place at the size of Athlone, so fragile because it's so old. And, you know, as you know about Venice with the canals and the bridges, the buildings, and, but all those tourists have vanished. Those yeah, but, but I heard a rumour as well, like they said that they were going to have to reduce the number of tourists because the tourists were destroying the city in Venice. Well, look, that kind of mass tourism is always going to be problematic no matter the city. But the city of Venice, it's, it, it's, it's like a museum. So you really have handle with care and not just because of the the age of the buildings but also in terms of the the lagoons you know they suffer very badly from high tides which in itself is hugely problematic like water water can destroy buildings like no other element and so it's a very very fragile city and obviously you know up until this year you know the cruise ships that was obviously was very much a part of, um, you know, the Vista, the daily Vista in Venice. But that in itself brings a lot of problems as well because they're so they're so big and they come so close to St. Mark's Square. Um, so, yeah, so, so it, it, this year has kind of given Venice an opportunity to breathe. You know, yeah. there's these wonderful... Of course, yeah. Of the fish, the wildlife returning to Venice mm. for the first time. You know, you could actually see through the water of the canals, which you couldn't for for, for years. It was so, so dirty and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's given it's given the city a chance just to take a deep breath. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I'm hoping now that you know all of that's not going to be lost. You know, in the years to come, I hope that they. So, so you off. might you might get back there maybe in a few months or get, go back to visit maybe. Yeah, no, I, I think we might. Well, that's the hope. We might uproot for a little while. Um, this because obviously, you know, travel is still very much a, a no-no. You know, so the idea of going away for a weekend or that, that's just not something that that's being encouraged or allowed. So, um, if we are to go over, we'll probably go over for a few months. Um, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. 
a question I want to ask you. So, like, you know, wait, for you now, because I mean, you've done so much. You know, you're you're you've you've accomplished quite a lot with your acting career, and you know, you're on your fourth novel now, and you've done so many things to do with tourism and and the magazines and everything. So, w- what do you see as being a great ambition for you in the future, an aspiration? What would you love to do? Oh, right. Um... Well, it's funny because, you know, what you've listed there would all be related to um, my career. And I think that's something that's definitely shifted. That a lot of my goals now aren't aren't career related. I think in my, in my early days, everything would have been very much associated with whether I got a job or, you know, how well the job went and la, la, la. Like, to me, I feel like, you know, I've done so so many lovely wonderful things and i've worked with so many wonderful people and i've received so many opportunities to tell stories um that you know for me i'm just you know really focusing on you know my relationship my family i'm just on, on just the simple things in life that are so important and can be overlooked time and time again um and i think you know again the you know the lessons of this year are that we do really need to value and cherish those things because, you know, careers are fantastic and, you know, I'm still very ambitious, I hope. Um, but, you know, it's not, they're not the be all and end all. And often in, in this game, you know, you can completely spend your entire day, your entire year just focusing on career, 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 and then overlook other lovely things there in front of you, like relationships and like family. So, 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 so that's something that I'm going to really embrace. Um, even more so in, in, in the coming months and um, just the lovely things in life. Well, that's brilliant. You know, I mean, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been really interesting to talk to you and we'll talk again in the future, I hope sometime. But I want to wish you luck um, with your next book. And, you know, we're going to plug your your latest book at the moment. And, you know, good luck with the, the rest of your filming and everything this year and uh, well into next year because you're finished now. Uh, but thanks. Thanks so much, Donald. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I want to wish you a happy Christmas and wish you a happy new year as well. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the same. And thank you so much for, for wanting me on your podcast. I, I'm thrilled and it's been great. So thank you. Okay, thank you, Mr. Donald Dunhu. That was an interesting conversation and we wish Donald all the best in the future. Okay, so let's talk about next week's guest. Next week, we have Mr. Dave Joyce and he is from Dave Joyce's Martial Arts Academy in Galway. And Dave has been a lifelong martial arts instructor and ambassador for the martial arts in Galway, Ireland and abroad. And Dave is going to talk to us about his teachings and all the things he's learned over the years and it's you know going to be a really interesting chat so we hope you join in and enjoy the show that'll be next friday thank you see you folks take care of yourself good night